0: Welcome to AFA at the Core. I'm your host, Walker Wildman. This is our Monday edition of AFA at the Core. Glad to have you with us on the American Family Radio Network. Check out our website, afr.net, afr.net. You can also download the app, the AFR app, wherever you uh, listen, whatever kind of device you have, Apple, Android, et cetera, you can download the AFR app and listen live at your convenience. You can also listen to past shows so we have multiple ways for you to keep up with AFA at the core on the web or on the app whichever you prefer you can also subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts wherever you listen to podcasts type in AFA at the core you can subscribe and uh, listen at your convenience so we're out there uh, there's virtually no way for you to not be able to listen to AFA at the core uh, at your convenience so go out there and check it out and subscribe and listen to the podcast. Our scripture for the week, uh, last week, was Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's Isaiah 41.10 out of uh, our verse of the week last week. Well, this week we are in uh, the book of Psalm. Or this book of Psalms and we are in chapter 1 verse 1 and 2 blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night that's Psalm 1 verse 1 and 2 and that is our scripture memorization of the week, our verse, or in this case, verses of the week, verse 1 and 2 out of Psalm 1. Uh, Go there in your Bible, check it out, read it this week, and memorize it. Also, our resource of the week, and we'll be talking about um, issues uh, at some point during the week, uh, issues related to this topic, but our, our resource of the week is In His Image 5 Pack. The In His Image 5 Pack. DVD set in his image is an excellent uh, resource let me uh, just read from from the in his image five-pack DVD set for for those who aren't aware of this project that we've uh, put together here at American Family Association in his image is a critical and urgent message designed to equip the church to answer culturally controversial questions about gender and sexuality from a biblical perspective Every church in America is filled with hurting people asking these tough questions. Can you be gay and be a Christian? What if someone genuinely feels trapped in the wrong body? Did God make me this way? Is change even possible? In His Image presents much-needed truth and compassion and clarity through powerful testimonies, careful Bible teaching, and scientific evidence. So that is what In His Image is about. It's a, a video Produced by American Family Association. And you can go to resources.afa.net, resources.afa.net, and order the five-pack. And by the way, we are live streaming on Facebook. We are live streaming on the American Family Radio Facebook page. And we're also on YouTube. Uh, just go to Facebook, type in American Family Radio, and you can watch the show. And uh, you'll see the, in his image, of five-pack DVD set that I'm holding here right in my hand. We'll get this shipped out to you. Uh, should you want to order it, by going to resources.afa.net. A study study I talked about last week on the show was out of Israel, where the Israeli health ministry is saying that, according to their data, that the Pfizer COVID vaccine is just the latest numbers last week are showing that it is just 39% effective at preventing infection or the efficacy rate, is 39%. The health ministry goes on to say that the two-dose vaccine still works very well in preventing people from getting seriously sick, demonstrating 88% effectiveness against hospitalization and 91% effectiveness against severe illness, according to the Israeli data, Uh, CNBC, this is out of cnbc.com, I'm going to play a clip here. This is clip one. This is the White House last week, the White House spokesperson claiming that we are now experiencing uh, in America and across the world a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Clip one, let's listen
2: one thing we know is that the most important thing that people think about when they're making a determination about getting the vaccine and I know you're you're raising a broader point here about misinformation but one thing that people uh, think about is what their friends what their doctor what the people they trust in their community uh, have to say so mm-hmm. we're going to continue to supply information to encourage people to get the vaccine what we're seeing is that right now this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated 99.5 percent of people who are in the hospital or who have died from this virus are, are unvaccinated
0: all right well there you have it uh, the White House saying that we are currently in a pandemic of the unvaccinated but this raises a, a, a serious question about what is the definition of a vaccine you know traditionally and I think um, the correct definition and I'll I actually pull up the CDC website on the definition of a vaccine uh, traditionally, when we hear a vaccine, at least me, um, I think that it, it provides full protection. Uh, the traditional uh, uh, understanding of a vaccine is that when you get it, uh, you're fully protected from whatever the vaccine is intended to protect against. Uh, smallpox, uh, chickenpox—you got all these different uh, diseases in, in the past that there's a pro- vaccine produced, and it provides protection. And, and many in many cases, uh, the vaccines of the past. Uh, virtually uh, uh, eliminated whatever kind of disease or illness was spreading. When I, when I pull up the definition, according to the CDC, of, number one, immunity, and a, a vaccine, which those these things go hand in hand, the definition of a vaccine, according to the CDC, is a product that stimulates a person's immune system to produce immunity to a specific disease protecting the person from that disease. Well, the definition of immunity, because that's important when you talk about vaccines, the definition of immunity, according to the CDC, is protection from an infectious disease. If you are immune to a disease, you can be exposed to it without becoming infected. I'm reading directly from the CDC website. The reason I bring this up is because we've been told, and this has all been touted as Is that these are vaccines these are vaccines right this is what uh, we spent America at least spent billions producing over the last 18 months is vaccines that provide immunity to coronavirus uh, no matter the strain well as it's turning out uh, I don't know that that we can properly call at least the Pfizer that we can properly call these vaccines I'm not saying that they don't help because some of the studies right now are showing that people who are vaccinated have less serious illnesses. That's what the uh, the Israeli studies show. Is yes, the Pfizer vaccine is not preventing, uh, uh, not necessarily preventing people from falling ill with COVID, but it is helping them not to become hospitalized or have a serious illness. And that's actually good news if if, if these shots. I'm not worried. we can't call them vaccines anymore. If these shots help people stay out of the hospital and help them recover quicker, that's good news. That's a good thing. Um, but if we're going to follow the CDC's traditional definition of immunity and vaccine, um, you really can't call these vaccines because they're not providing 100% complete protection, which is the uh, intention and the de- the historical and traditional definition of a vaccine. I don't know what you call them. You may just call them shots, Um, there's probably some kind of medical definition for something that you take, a preventative, uh, probably a preventative, but it doesn't uh, uh, provide uh, immunity 100%, which is the traditional understanding and definition of a vaccine. Uh, So we'll have to reconsider the medical community, or rather, we'll have to reconsider what we're going to call these if they don't provide complete protection, uh, because calling them a vaccine If they don't provide complete protection is really uh, misleading uh, to the people that are getting them, thinking that they will not become ill with COVID. Remember back oh last year, this story dates back to September of 20, the media and the Democrats, including Joe Biden when he was a candidate, they were everything was Trump's fault. Everything was Trump's fault. Even coronavirus, even the pandemic was Trump's fault. That's the way the media portrayed it over and over again. It was the, they called it the Trump pandemic and it was all Trump's fault. Uh, Well, this story dates back to September of 2020. I think this was during some debates. But uh, Joe Biden uh, blamed the pandemic on President Trump when he was running for office. And we saw all the headlines. Remember, we saw all the headlines. Uh, blaming President Trump for the uh, pandemic. Well, you know, now that, that Joe Biden's in the White House, is, is it Joe Biden's fault that we're having a pandemic? It, are all the deaths, are they on Joe Biden's watch? Is Joe Biden responsible for the all the deaths that have occurred since January 20th of 2020, 2021? Is it all Joe Biden's fault? I think that's a valid question, and I, I think... I'm being cynical here. We all know that one man in the white house, the commander in chief cannot control everything. He cannot control an upper respiratory virus. I'm being a little bit cynical here, Um, but the media, they, they wasted no time blaming Donald Trump for the pandemic. And even, even Joe Biden criticized president Trump for closing down the border, closing down travel with China. So, um, is, is Joe Biden now responsible for the pandemic? That's a question that the media and the Democrats need to ask themselves if they want to follow some sort of consistent logic. Um, Bobby, this the, the blaming Trump, blaming one man uh, for a virus, for a pandemic, is way irrational.
1: Well, the converse of that is now it's time for Biden. To your point, to take blame, he's the one who reopened the borders. He's the one who, uh, to date, has uh, received over a million illegal immigrants, and I'm sure somebody in that uh, in that pack uh, is certainly carrying a virus of some sort. It may not be COVID. I think it's highly unlikely that it's it's something that they are not carrying in terms of COVID, but they're carrying COVID and then some.
0: Yeah. No, that's a good point. We're letting hundreds of thousands of people into our country illegally with no way to know, are they vaccinated or do they have COVID? Are they getting tested? Um, It's just complete hypocrisy right there. And I'm seeing stories where uh, breaking news just about an hour ago, the state of California is now requiring all state employees to be vaccinated. And if they're not, well, they have to get it tested once a week. They have to get a test once a week. Uh, this is coming down the pipe, folks, and the pressure is on from uh, from the Biden administration and others uh, to force this vaccine, whatever the cost, uh, no matter how much uh, damage is done from a public uh, perception standpoint uh, to the uh, to the to the government to the Biden administration. Shifting gears here, I talked two weeks ago about the uh, the issue with inflation uh the issues with inflation and um you know the the Biden administration including uh, jerome powell the fed the fed secretary or the fed chairman they've all dismissed inflation at first they started off calling it transitory which means temporary and then they shifted gears like i just shifted gears on topics and said well it's not a uh, not transitory anymore. It's going to be here to stay for a little while. Biden thinks that spending 3.5 trillion dollars on infrastructure is going to help ease the inflation, he says. <laughs> we'll talk about that. I'll read you his quote when we get back from the break. My name is Walker Wildman. This is AFA at the core. We'll be back in a few minutes.
3: So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. After Jesus resurrected Lazarus, his and Lazarus' fame spread. They already planned to kill Jesus, but now, because Lazarus was tangible evidence of Jesus' resurrection power, the chief priests and Pharisees plotted to kill Lazarus too. They never worried about Lazarus before, but now, because he is a walking billboard of Christ's power, they want him dead, too. This, brothers and sisters, is why many come against you. It isn't personal, but satanic forces can't stand your representation of God's power to transform lives. That's why we rejoice when we are slandered for his namesake. Christ's power is on display.
4: Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association.
5: This is Dr. Richard Land, President Emeritus of Southern Evangelical Seminary, and your host for Bringing Every Captive. Recently, I shared with you a column from the Wall Street Journal by William Galston, who was a Clinton appointee and is currently a fellow at the Brookings Institution, which is a liberal think tank. And he's a weekly columnist with the Wall Street Journal. I know Bill Galston. I've participated on panels with him in Washington, and, and I like Bill. He's a liberal, but he's honest, and he's a straight shooter. And he's a former Marine, and it took the courage of a former Marine to write what he wrote last week about critical race theory, which is, quote, but one thing is clear, because the Declaration of Independence, the founding document of America, is a product of the Enlightenment, a doctrine that rejects the Enlightenment tacitly requires deconstructing the American order and rebuilding it on an entirely different foundation, end quote. Now, that's revolution. But this week, he wrote a column that's even stronger. He has dug deep into the original resources on critical race theory, and he has come up with a column that after this column appeared, he's going to need a food taster when he goes to Washington, D.C. cocktail parties because the progressive left is going to be after him. In this column, which appeared in Wednesday's Wall Street Journal, he said that critical race theory, first, denies the possibility of objectivity, second, it makes race the center of our focus, which is in direct opposition to Dr. King's focus and vision and that it's opposed to the goals of the 1950s and 60s civil rights revolution. Third, he points out that CRT is an explicitly left-wing movement inspired by the thinking of an Italian neo-Marxist, Antonio Gramsci. And fourth, that CRT's founders identified with black power movements much more than with those who were working for civil rights in the 60s and 70s. We need this kind of courage for Americans to speak out in spite of the cancel culture. And particularly, we need progressives to be honest enough to tell the truth about critical race theory. This is Richard Land.
1: AFA at the core podcasts are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the core on American Family Radio.
0: Welcome back to the show. Glad to have you with us for this second segment of AFA at the core. I was talking before we went to the break about the Bidenflation. That's what I'm going to call it. I think I've seen that somewhere. We're going to call it Bidenflation. The inflation that's been going on since President Joe Biden took office. And it's, it's really affecting um, middle- to lower-income families. Uh, prices of groceries, virtually all services, all sectors, all goods are experiencing inflation, meaning the prices are going up. And wages are not necessarily following, uh, not in the rapid pace that we're seeing inflation. And uh, Joe Biden, uh, I'll read this, um, read this uh, Fox Business article. This is quoting uh, President Biden. Here's what he says about inflation when he's talking about, his, this was at the CNN t- town hall last week. Quote, the vast majority of the experts, including Wall Street, are suggesting that it's highly unlikely that it's going to be long-term inflation that's going to get out of hand, Biden said. There will be near-term inflation because everything is now trying to be picked back up. He goes on to say, talking about um, infrastructure, the what the Democrats are trying to pass through Congress right now. He says, quote, if we make prudent multi-year investments in better roads, bridges, transit systems— and high-speed Internet, a modern, resilient electric grid, here's what will happen. It breaks up the bottlenecks in our economy, he said Monday. These steps will enhance our productivity, raising wages without pr- raising prices. That won't increase inflation. It'll take the pressure off inflation, end quote, from the president. That 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 defies the laws of economics that is that is that is a falsehood that's a pinocchio stating that if if the government spends 3.5 trillion more dollars this year uh, for infrastructure that that will somehow ease inflation that will lower inflation that will slow down inflation that cannot that cannot happen i'm going to play clip 5 here this is senator mike lee talking about the four, the $3.5 trillion inflation bomb bill that Democrats are working on now. Clip five, let's listen.
3: Democrats, to be honest, should be embarrassed to go home to real Americans paying the price of Bidenomics and say that the answer is is another, yet another multi-trillion dollar inflation bomb. That's exactly what this is. It, this inflation bomb that they're proposing, which some are estimating now, Uh, could involve about $4 trillion, is going to only worsen the already frightening inflation. This type of inflation very often ends up carrying out a a reverse Robin Hood mission, where we rob the poor to give it to the rich. A small handful of people will get rich off of bills like these, and other rich people who don't get rich from it will be okay. But poor middle-class Americans, many of whom are living paycheck to paycheck, will be most hurt by these things is they find that their purchasing power goes down dramatically as we go and spend $4 trillion as they want to do.
0: Yeah, this is this is a major issue, probably one of the top issues, um, as it relates to uh, fiscal policy. Uh, the Democrats, they are notorious for messing things up or breaking things and then coming in <laughs> afterwards and wanting to fix it. And that is that is what they are doing here. They did the same thing with Obamacare. They came in, they broke it, <laughs> and then they came in after and said, "Let's fix it." I mean, even Joe Biden and the Democrats—they've run, they've campaigned on fixing Obamacare. That, that's what—that's the way they phrase it. Even though it's—it's it's the bill, it's the the law, uh, more of the regulations that they, they themselves passed, and they want to come in and fix Obamacare. Well, the same thing is going on here, Um, and this is the fundamental difference. When we're talking economics, this is a fundamental difference between Democrats and Republicans, liberals and conservatives. One side, the conservative side, uh, we want people to earn an income for themselves. We want people to have opportunities to flourish economically on their own volition because of their good work ethic. And we want the government to stay as much out of it as humanly possible. And that's the traditional American way that has created one of the best economic situations in world history. But the Democrats, what they want to do is they want to get government more involved regulating more of the economy to such an extent that it begins to take a toll and a strain on the economy, and then they step in, the government steps in, and says, we'll take care of you. Unemployed, we will take care of you. People who don't want to work, we will take care of you. And when the government begins uh, taking care of everyone who needs it from from a financial standpoint, uh, then the government can dictate, dictate many, many things. Um, and one, one, one area where we're seeing this is what the Democrats are wanting to do with universal basic income. Uh, they're, they're trying this in small areas in California and, and a few cities. And the Democrats, this is their dream. This is their wish list item, is to create this uh, socialistic utopia where you don't even have to work are everyone works and they all get paid the same, and they call it universal basic income, and that's what the the wish list is. Well, this inflation is is a major problem, and there's no there's no sign of it slowing down, and it's hurting middle and lower income families, no doubt about it. It's hurting lower and middle income families, uh, the, the 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 economic classes that the Democrats claim, by word, to care the most about, uh, those are the people that are hurting the most under Democrat policies. So the, the, the Biden administration, if they want to turn this inflation train around, it's going to take some hard work, and it's going to take months, if not years, uh, to turn this inflation train around. But uh, they're not interested in that because um, when, uh, when things are broken, when there's a crisis Big government steps in and they assume more control, more power, and they claim that they're going to fix that which they have broken. <laughs> it's really a perverted way of thinking uh, when it comes to policy. Uh, moving on, there's a, we covered the Arizona audit, the forensic audit of the, the election, the 2020 election in Arizona. And I knew this was going to happen. I actually called it. Uh, and that is the discrediting are the attempted discrediting of people participating and speaking about the forensic audit in Arizona. Uh, the forensic audit done in Arizona was authorized by the state legislature. It was, it was administered under their authority, which they have full authority and jurisdiction over elections that occur in their state. That's a clear constitutional um, prerogative that they have. Well, uh, President Trump spoke out about this about the forensic audit about the results of it at his uh, rally over the weekend in Arizona I think it was a turning point USA event and here's here's a here's an opinion piece out of MSNBC this is an opinion piece out of MSNBC here's a headline Trump's Ari- Trump's Arizona rally proved his ability to damage the republic isn't over <laughs> Trump's Arizona rally proved his ability to damage the republic isn't over. And the, the writer here in this opinion piece goes on to talk about uh, you know, basically all that President Trump's saying is fake. It's not true. It's a lie. You know, He's trying to stir up his right-wing base, on and on and on. Um, and then we've seen where the, uh, the people that conducted the forensic audit that were hired by the state legislature – Uh, They've been attacked. Their entities have been attacked, claiming that they're not certified election auditors. And here's the thing on that. There is no such thing as a certified election auditor. And that's one of their main arguments. One of the left's main arguments right now is, well, the people who did the audit in Maricopa County, the people who did the audit for the state legislature in Arizona, well, they're not certified election auditors. (laughs) That's like a fake position. That doesn't even exist. So the state, the state couldn't hire a certified election auditor because there's no such thing. There's no such position. And the state uh, Senate president called uh, and, and wrote a letter to the FEC, the Federal Elections Commission, requesting if there is such thing as a certified election auditor. And the FEC said, no, there's no such thing. We don't authorize such a title. You know, because you, you have on the financial end, you have CPAs, certified public accountants, you have uh, licensed or you have official auditors. They have, a, you know, whatever kind of accreditation they need to audit financial institutions or audit other institutions, audit the books. Well, uh, the Democrats are saying, well, this this wasn't done by certified election auditors. Well, that's because there there's no such thing as certified election auditors. Um and that the Senate president in Arizona who's a Republican she's a female she uh, she reached out to the FEC and asked if there was such a position that they could hire and they said absolutely not no such position exists I was listening to a one-on-one interview between the Senate president in um, in Arizona the state Senate president and uh, a journalist from Western Journal and she this is an interview. I'm going to play this clip. This is uh, clip three. This is the Arizona Senate president talking about the issues that, that her body, her legislative body, that they're having trying to get information on the 2020 election from Maricopa County. Let's listen.
2: So along with that, so not only has the, uh, the auditors had problems in us getting the information we can from Maricopa County. They have purposely withheld the blue tally sheets. We have not gotten the chain of custody. We have not gotten the routers, the passcodes, the, the FOBs. Interesting what we did find out right. and Thursday's hearing is that they don't have the passwords. Mm-hmm. The only people that have the passwords is Dominion. So Maricopa County doesn't even have control over their own election system. Only Dominion has those passwords. And they have 24 hour day access to those computers. Come and go as you want. Not saying that they've done anything wrong. And I'm certainly not picking on them. We have no reason to believe they did something. But the mere fact is at this point, what we do know is Maricopa County didn't have control over their own election system. It
3: opens up the possibility. It
2: opens up that possibility and that should never be that way. What we have found also is that the password hasn't been changed in two years and multiple people are sharing the password. I had somebody that worked at the election place down there and said, oh yeah, it was not unusual for somebody to yell across the room and say, hey, Joe. What was that password again? And he'd yell it back. That's not <laughs> secure. secure yeah. That's not secure.
0: Well, that's it. That is Senate President. Her name is Karen Fan. She's a Senate President in the uh, state of Arizona doing an interview, one-on-one interview. Pretty lengthy interview there. I pulled an excerpt from it. But she she started off the clip talking about how Maricopa County, uh, they're not turning over the information needed to to really complete this forensic audit. They're not turning over the proper information needed to complete the forensic audit and answer some of the tough questions that are coming about from the forensic audit. Reading directly from this Epoch Times or the, this Epoch Times article about this forensic audit teams conducting a forensic audit in Arizona's largest county said on July 15th that they want more items to complete their review which has turned up se- several major discrepancies. The auditors led by cyber by uh, Florida-based Cyber Ninjas want ballot envelope images, router images, Splunk logs, that's some kind of digital log, hard drives that contain information about the 2020 election in Maricopa County, and details on the county's policies and procedures as they try to complete a review that they started nearly three months ago. That information could help clear up issues that have been identified. The article goes on to hear to talk about uh, Doug Logan, the CEO of Cyber Ninjas, told senators at the Arizona State Capitol during a hearing that auditors could find no record of the county sending more than 74,000 mail-in ballots. He also said auditors found approximately 18,000 people voted but were removed from the voter rolls, quote, soon after the election, 11,326 people were not in the voter rolls on November 7th, which is the uh, day after the election, but appeared to be on the rolls on December 4th. So people magically appeared on the rolls after the election. And the article goes on to talk about other issues there. But the question is, why won't Maricopa County be fully transparent? Why won't they turn over the information they have? Maricopa County is actually going to court, and they've actually lost in court. A judge recently, just as early as, I believe, a week ago, told Maricopa County they have to legally turn over everything that they have to the state senate because the state senate has full legal jurisdiction to review the county election. And the Maricopa County uh, Board of Supervisors, they're not turning it over. They, They are even defying the judge, which is galling. Absolutely, absolutely insane what's going on there in, Georgia, in Arizona. And, and here's the thing, and this has been, this is pretty clear. Um, if the election was on the up and up, and in Maricopa County, then give the state senate everything that they need. Give them stuff they even don't need. Give them all the information they need. And what's frustrating about all of this is that we are, we're eight months plus. We're eight months, roughly eight months, past an election, and we're just now realizing, well, many, many people suspected this, but we're just now getting the hardcore, undeniable evidence by the state legislature that the election in certain parts of Arizona was not on the up and up. It was not done properly. It should not take this long to get answers. Answers should be, uh, answers should come in the weeks after an election, not eight months after an election. AFA at the core. We'll be back in a few minutes.
1: Too busy to catch your favorite shows on the radio? Have no fear, because the AFR app is here. Download the app to have access to live broadcast, music streaming, as well as each podcast. Whether you're at work, at home, or on the go, it's easy to listen to AFR. The AFR app is available not only for Apple and Android users, but also on Amazon Alexa and Roku. Download the AFR app today at AFR.net. American Family Radio newscasts are now available as a podcast. I'm Rusty Pew. I'm Steve Jordahl. Didn't catch the full story? Listen to the podcast. I'm Chris Woodward. I'm Chad Groening. Didn't have the radio on at the top of the hour? Listen to the podcast. I'm Charlie Bunch. And I'm Fred Jackson. Get accurate news from a Christian perspective whenever you want it with the American Family News podcast. You can also sign up for our daily news brief. Visit onenewsnow.com.
4: Emmy was in a bad relationship when she found out she was pregnant. Her boyfriend told her to get an abortion, which she seriously considered.
1: I knew that if I got an abortion, a part of me would be broken.
4: Emmy went to a pre-born center in need of guidance.
1: They honestly were able to put every fear at ease and let me know that it was going to be okay. Because of them, he's here. I couldn't imagine my life without him.
4: Preborn clinics introduce moms in crisis to their babies through ultrasound while providing hope, love, and the gospel in action. When an expectant mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, she's 80% more likely to choose life for her baby. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life.
3: When we think in terms of authorship of the Bible, we have essentially a dual authorship. Pastor Alistair
1: Begg from the American Family Studios documentary, The God Who Speaks.
3: So it's true to say that Paul wrote Romans. It's equally true to say that God wrote Romans. And the great wonder of it is that without any violation of Paul's personality or his intellect, um, God, through the instrumentation of the Holy Spirit, both uh, provided Paul and enabled Paul to write as he wrote. And that would be true for all the Bible authors. And so it is at once uh, an entirely divine book, and yet it is an entirely divine book that uses. Uh, human authors in order to provide us with the text. Visit thegodwhospeaks.org
1: AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio.
0: Welcome back to the last segment of AFA at the Core. Our website is AFR.net. If you go there, You'll be able to find my podcast right there on the home page. The show name is AFA at the core. You can listen to, uh, today's show and past shows by going to AFR.net and clicking on AFA at the core podcast page. And of course you can always subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to AFA at the core and listen at your convenience. Just to close up, uh, that story out of Arizona, and we're going to be discussing this more on, um, uh, Uh, we're going to have a special guest and i'll announce his name tomorrow but we're going to have a special guest on friday of this week uh, who's been very very involved in election integrity efforts in recent months across the country so we're going to talk to that special guest on friday i'll announce that tomorrow during the show so uh, one of of many reasons to tune in tomorrow to afa at the core this is clip four here during this same interview with western journal the Arizona State Senate President Karen Fan was uh, was asked the hypothetical, you know, what if at the end of this forensic audit, uh, your team, the state legislature, uncovers um, that the the vote tally, the final uh, certified vote tally, was done incorrectly, uh, that the vote was not as it was presented back in uh, December of 2020. Well, let's listen to clip four. This is uh, Arizona State Senator Karen Pham.
2: If we were already in session for the purpose of putting the question on the board to decertify the electors. And that is an option that can be done, but it has to be done by the House and the Senate. And you have to be able to pass that with at least a simple majority. And in this case, the Senate would be 16 votes, and then the House would be 31 votes. And I can tell you, we don't have 16 and 31. If somewhere down the path, if there was a clear convincing evidence, and I, it could take quite some time to get there, that's a huge if, but if it would be, then we would have to get those 16 and 31 votes. Otherwise there's nothing we can do about it other than fix the election laws to make sure this doesn't happen again next year or any future years
0: there you have um, Karen fan out of uh, Arizona t- uh, asking or really answering the question what happens if you realize that the election you certified as a a state lawmaking body uh, was not done done right and the numbers are not what you certified uh, she says that the state legislature both house and Senate a uh, simple majority would have to go back and they would have to uh, decertify that election, which she said they're not there yet, but she was answering a hypothetical of what would happen there. Moving on to a couple other stories, uh, this one really really got me fired up, and the headline here out of Breitbart is, Biden DOJ drops charges against China military members accused of lying to get jobs at U.S. universities. And the the spying of the Chinese Communist Party on American soil is nothing new. It's a very, very widespread problem. If you talk to people who are in the national security field, whether it be they work for the government or they work or they're private citizens and they're just up to speed on national security issues, uh, you know, we have the issue with um, China stealing intellectual property of major corporations here in America. Uh, stealing that property and developing technologies uh, that we originally pay for and and build up, stealing those and uh, and piggybacking off of America's uh, research. Well, these um, these individuals were Chinese military members that immigrated to the U.S., obtaining visas, and they lied about their connections to the Chinese military. Reading directly from the story, late last week, prosecutors wrote in a court brief that they would be dropping their criminal cases against China military members, and it lists their four names, all of whom had been accused of fraudulently obtaining visas to secure roles at U.S. universities in California and Indiana. The article goes on to say that the five Chinese nationals were arrested in July and August of last year as part of a federal crackdown on China military members, members fraudulently obtaining visas in the. US by hiding their ties to the Chinese military known formally as the People's Liberation Army or PLA uh, so these these um, immigrants from China uh, they got visas and they lied about their connections to the Chinese military they were basically spying on behalf of China on our university campuses and the Biden Department of Justice well, uh, they've dropped all the charges. Dropped all the charges, and these uh, these criminals, these spies are headed back to China. But, you know, I just wish the same type of, of policy would be extended to people who went in the Capitol on January 6th. Will the Biden administration drop all charges against people who trespassed on Capitol grounds on January 6th? and provide the same type of, I don't know, maybe forgiveness or grace to um, these Chinese spies. That would be interesting to see, but we know they won't do that um, because the Biden administration, they're soft on China. For, from all aspects, the Biden administration is weak on China. They're weak on China. And I saw where a... Um, John Podesta's brother, Tony Podesta, longtime Democrat operative, uh, Clinton associate, Barack Obama associate, Tony Podesta, he is being hired by the Chinese Communist Party to try to build relations uh, uh, with the Biden administration. More specifically, he is being hired by Huawei, which is a tech company out of China, of Hong Kong, basically run and operated by the Chinese Communist Party. Well, that tech company is hiring Tony Podesta, a longtime Democrat, to curry favor with the Biden administration. Democrats have long, lo- they long have had ties, deep ties, to the Chinese Communist Party. And so Biden's DOJ is taking it easy on these Chinese spies and sending them back to China. Well, I only wish uh, the Biden DOJ would just take it easy on the January 6th uh, people who were caught trespassing on the Capitol grounds on January 6th, but we know that's not going to happen. Why? Because uh, they're using January 6th for political purposes, and they're going to drag that thing out uh, for months and months to come. Um, another story I, I want to mention here, this is a, a poll Out of USA Today, Suffolk University, and Detroit Free Press, those three entities, teamed up for this poll. And if you listen to the mainstream media, if you watch CNN or MSNBC, you would think that uh, the majority of Americans in inner cities, they just cannot stand the police. They despise the police. They want the police defunded. That's the narrative you get. But this uh, poll actually showed the opposite. By a staggering 9-to-1 margin, residents in uh, Detroit say that they would feel safer with more cops on the streets, not fewer. And by a 3-to-1 margin, uh, this same uh, group of individuals, residents, reject the idea of defunding the police. And this really doesn't surprise me. It does surprise me because that's not what you're going to get from the mainstream media or the Democrats. But people want safe streets. People of all backgrounds want safe streets. That's not controversial. Uh, it shouldn't be disputed. The citizens, no matter their skin color, want to be able to live in their city without fearing for their life without fearing for their life. And so that poll doesn't surprise me. People want safe streets. How do you get safe streets? Safe streets, you have more cops and you're tough on crime. And what you're seeing in New York City, I watched this video of a brutal beatdown beat on the street, this uh, robbery, where this guy was beat in broad daylight and he his, all of his items were stolen, all of his personal items were stolen. You see in Chicago where they have... It's like a war zone. When you look at the number of shootings and the number of deaths, the number of murders in Chicago, it would be as if you were in Afghanistan. The numbers are very similar on what happens in these uh, war zones. That is Chicago run by longtime Democrats, run by longtime Democrats. And when you look at what is all these major cities, when you look at all these major cities across the country, they have been run by Democrats for decades for decades some of them you look back and it the the Democrat leadership goes back to like the early 1900s like a hundred years some of these cities have been run and operated and dominated by Democratic politicians and they think uh, that Republicans are the problem that conservatives are the problem well it's their cities they're all run by Democrats, Democrat mayor, Democrat city council, and the crime is, is, is disastrous. The crime is disastrous, and we're not just talking about, you know, white-collar crimes, financial crimes. We're talking about armed robbery. We're talking about murders. We're talking about rapes. We're talking about MS-13 gangs all over the streets of places like New York and New Jersey, and it's terrible. For law-abiding citizens, it's terrible for them and their quality of life, which is why you see um, this study that says uh, nine-to-one margin in Detroit uh, residents say they would feel safer with more cops on the streets, not fewer. So there's your answer to your defund the police movement. We need to refund and give a raise to the police departments so we can keep our cities safer. This uh, other story I wanted to mention is out of California. This story is coming from the Liberty Center. This is a law firm that uh, represents individuals and families. This, uh, This lawsuit had to do with Governor Gavin Newsom, the California governor, had to do with him restricting not just public schools, from being open during parts of the pandemic, but this also had to do with the governor preventing private schools from opening. Yes, Governor Gavin Newsom prevented private schools from opening during parts of the pandemic. Today, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals reversed and remanded in part, a district court ruling erroneously upholding Governor Newsom's closure of nearly 80% of schools across California. In doing so, the Ninth Circuit—remember, this is the Ninth Circuit. This is not a conservative circuit. This is actually one of the most liberal circuits. The Ninth Circuit held that Governor Newsom's COVID-19 order closing private schools violated parents' due process rights to determine the forum of their kids' education. The Center for American Liberty— uh, which is the firm who represented these these parents and these families. They appealed the district court's summary judgment dismissal of the landmark Open California school case, which is Brock versus Newsom. The reading directly from the Ninth Circuit uh, ruling, the Supreme Court has long held that the right of parents to make decisions concerning the care, custody, and control of their children is a fundamental liberty, interested, protected, and... By the Due Process Clause, and and that right includes the right of parents to be free from state interference with their choice of their educational forum itself. So this is a huge victory out of California coming out of one of the most liberal circuits in the country, the most liberal circuit in the country, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals upholding the right for parents to be able to, to educate their children without the governor passing some sort of edict which prevents them from uh, homeschooling or doing kind of private education with their uh, children, that is that is a right that cannot be compromised. Or uh, we will be in some a uh, very tough place as a country. Uh, the last story I'll I'll get at for today is about the issue, and I told you we would talk about this as it relates to our In His Image project, talking about God's design for human sexuality. This story is out of West Virginia. West Virginia earlier passed a bill which proclaims and states that men play in men's sports or boys play in boys' sports, girls play in girls' sports. Basically, you play in the sport in which your biological sex associates with. So if you're born a male, this is not rocket science. This is not complex stuff, although people want to make it more complex than it is. Uh, West Virginia passed a Save Women's Sports Act, which prevents biological males from competing in women's sports. Well, what do you know? Somebody sues the state of West Virginia. And on Wednesday, a Bill Clinton-appointed judge out of the U.S. District Court of the Southern District of West Virginia issued a takedown of the state's Save Women's Sports Bill and ordered the state to allow 11-year-old transgender student Becky Pepper Jackson to try out for a girls' middle school cross-country team. That's a boy trying out for a girls' cross-country team. This should not stand. This judge has no authority to overturn what the, what the elected representatives in West Virginia have done. This is insanity, and I, pr- I pray and I hope that the state of West Virginia will appeal this and have the law upheld. We'll be back tomorrow with more of AFA at the Core.
4: The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.